praise the Lord. I must have hit a, 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 a note there or something. Wow, praise God. We love the King. We love the King. We serve a God that's a mighty God, a King of kings and Lord of lords. And He does exceedingly abundantly above all we can even think or imagine. What a mighty God we serve. Wow. When He says pray over everything, He meant that. Pray over everything. I mean, the King... I mean, after you've learned, I think about the water, which we only brought two cases, that which is all already gone. But you guys must have been really thirsty today. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you come up here and got a bottle of water and didn't pray over it? Who drank that water and didn't pray over it? Did anybody in this place drink a drink of water and didn't pray over it? You sinned. You sinned if you did that. Praise God. The Lord tell us we're supposed to pray over everything. You're not supposed to take a thing into your body without praying over it. And in the very near future, I'm probably going to bring you either the whole CD, DVD, probably a DVD. Uh, in fact, I've already known this for a long time. I've already seen these pictures. But it's an absolute confirmed fact that a Japanese scientist has done some research on water. And some of you may know about it. And when they do this test, they found out that water, if it's pure and clean, it has a beautiful crystal in its molecular structure. But they find out after it flows through the earth and it's contaminated and all kinds of stuff, it totally changes in its molecular structure. But the thing about it is what they've learned, and we've seen, and it's proven, that this Japanese guy's not a Christian, but he's a scientist. And he has proven that when you take water... If you pray over it in the name of Jesus, it changes the molecular structure of the water. It changes it. And whenever you sing Christian music, like we were singing, that water had become... Of course, this is good, clear, clean uh, water. Uh, you know, it's already come out of an RO system, so it's as, as clean and clear as you can get. But this water has also been... Uh, uh, whatever you call, I forget what they call it, they run it through some kind of a process that, that brings the energy level way up in this water. So this is not normal water that you drink here. This water is water that's been energized. And if you take that water and you pray over it again, you can energize it. And we have proved I can take water out of the tap and I can pray over it in the name of Jesus under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I can bring water up to a level even beyond the mirror water that, that Fred sells here just by prayer. They've tested it. And we can do that with prayer. So when you think about what we can do in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it's awesome, isn't it, brother? The name of Jesus, the greatest name that there ever was. And our King gave us that name to use for His glory while we're here on this earth. Amen. And it is a, it's a wonder that that devil has so deceived the church that we have not used that mighty name. I mean, so that's why you see us, Ty and me and several others, uh, Cheryl's. And uh, anytime anybody comes here, I mean, just like this gentleman up here, he cut his thumb with a saw this week. Well, as soon as I saw that, I didn't say, well, you poor soul. You know, first thing I said, let me have that hand in the name of Jesus. You know, I mean, praise God. 
You know, we expect that thumb to heal supernaturally because we spoke the name of Jesus over that thumb. You know, I mean, you don't do anything without prayer. And when I think about what we can do like that, when I was, when I was not really quite as on fire for Jesus as I am today, you know, today I'm just, you know, I'm one or two steps up the ladder way up. But, you know, back in those days when I was only a few inches off the floor, you know, and I had just a little bit of knowledge about God's Word, I also cut my hand like he did one day. I was using a saw. I was sawing. Of course, that's when I was working as an engineer for a corporation, and I was building a building, and the guys that was going to put in this cabinet, they didn't quite get through, and I wanted to open the building Monday morning, so I thought, well, I'll go over there, and I'll put this, I'll put this cabinet in and this dishwasher, and I'll get this thing finished myself. You know, how many times have you ever seen, if you want something done and you want it done right, you've got to do it yourself? <laughs> so I run over there to do it myself. And so I got in there and I'm cutting boards and putting cabinets in and, and putting a dishwasher in and all this stuff. And all of a sudden I needed a little board about this long, about three or four inches wide. And I picked up a piece of board there and about this long and I started to cut me off a little piece. And I heard this voice say, your hand is too close. Now let me tell you. When you serve the king, he'll talk to you when you get in danger. He'll talk to you. He's talked to me many times. And I said, okay, Lord. I knew that was the king. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll hold a little further out here. And I started to saw again. He said, it's still too close. But this time, I didn't change. I'm in time. Never as big a dummy as you are now. <laughs> You've done some dumb things, too. I know you. So me and you fit right along in that same category. I've been there and done it just like you have. So I, I went and started sawing, and I'm sawing. And he says a third time, son, your hand is too close. I mean, you talk about a dummy. You, I mean, when God speaks to you three times, brother, and you keep, you're pretty much a dummy, you know it? Unfortunately, that's us as human beings. As men, God can speak to us, and we, I just kept on sawing. And all of a sudden, I thought, I'm thinking to myself, my hand's plenty far out of the way. God don't know what he's talking about. After all, he's only God. You know? So I'm sawing along there with that board. And all of a sudden, that saw pinches that board and jerks that board out from under that saw. Under my, and my hand goes with that board because I got it real tight. And all of a sudden, I see blood everywhere. And that's not exactly what you want to see. But I did. I jerked that saw out of the wall. You know, I turned loose the switch, jerked it out of the wall, and I looked over there, and it had hit that finger right there three little times, just barely did nick it. And it hit that one six times, but just barely did nick it. But the one in the middle, evidently, had it pulled up a little higher and started right in that joint, and it cut it right down to the bone, completely off to the end, and there was a little quarter-inch piece of the end hanging on, and the whole thing was laying off. I looked down, and I said, Lord, I can't believe I'm so stupid. I can't believe you told me three times, and I didn't listen. I reached down, picked up that piece of skin, folded it over, folded my hand over, went over to the faucet and washed all the blood and everything off, and then washed everything out of there, folded it back under, rolled it back up, put a rag around it, went and got my truck, drove up to the hospital. I walked into the hospital, my hand all, of course, blood all over this rag. By this time I walked in, and the lady said, what's wrong? I said, I have cut my hand. She said, can I see it? I said, well, do you really, how about the blood? That's good enough. And she said, no, I'd like to see it. I said, oh, okay. So I unwrapped the rag, and I folded it. When I did, the finger fell off. 
And whenever it fell off, she said, ah, quick, roll it back up quick. I said, I did. I said, well, I told you it's cut. You can see from all the blood. I was serious. So she goes and gets a doctor. And in the meantime, while I'm down there waiting for the doctor, there's a guy in there from the airport, just like I was, only he was working for the other place. He was having a little problem, and I got to talk to him, witnessed him by Jesus. So while I'm talking to him by Jesus, the doctor finally comes in, and she looks at my finger, lady doctor. She said, wow, did you do a good job on that finger? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, but I'm sure glad I know the healer. Amen. Jesus is the healer. So she said, well, we're going to sew it back on. So she starts sewing. She takes 13 stitches around that finger to sew it back on. When she gets the sews back on, she said, now I've got to send you. Of course, it's, you know, I'm speaking over it. It stopped bleeding and all that kind of stuff. But it looks awful. And she said, we need to send you right on down to a specialist. Okay. So I go down to the specialist, and he looks at it, and he said, oh, wow, you did a great job on that finger. I said, that's usually the way I do everything, a great job. <laughs> this time, not exactly the way you want it to go, but I've done a great job. So anyway, he said, that we're going to have to do skin grafts on that finger. I said, skin grafts? He said, yes. He said, that is never going to look, you know, it's going to be terrible. It's going to look awful. And I said, where are you going to get the skin? He says, under your arm. I said, uh-oh. Then I got two places to heal. One under here and one under here. I said, what's it going to cost? He said, well, it was, an, it was a, a, a company-related injury, so what's the big deal? Your uh, insurance is going to pay for it anyway. I said, no, I want to know what it's going to cost. He said, well, I really don't know. I said, hey, you're the doctor. You're going to do the work, and if you don't know, then who does? He said, well, I don't know. But he said, there'll be my fee and the hospital's fee. I said, well, I want to know what they both cost before I say whether I'm going to let you do this or not. He said, well, it'll take me a little while to figure that out. I said, well, that's okay. I said, I want to know. And I said, when do I need it done? He said, you need it done immediately. I said, well, you better find out immediately then what it's going to cost. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, you know, when you know God, you can talk to people like this. See, I'm not in a panic. I have no fear whatsoever. I know the king. I know he's my healer. So I don't have no fear. And so anyway, finally, it was the next day, or, or the second one, I forget which it was. Anyway, a day or two later, he finally called me and said, well, my part's going to be $3,500. I said, so what's the hospital part going to be? He said, well, I really don't know. I can't really tell you that, but it'll probably be at least that much or more. I said, to put a little tiny skin graft on her, you're talking seven to $10,000? He said, yeah. I said, forget it. I'm going to let Jesus heal it. Amen. He said, what do you mean? I said, I ain't coming back in. I said, Jesus is my king, and he does great work, and there ain't going to be no scar or nothing. And he don't charge nothing. He works for free. Amen. He, he said, sir, you are crazy. I said, well, I may be, but I'm crazy for Jesus. Right. You know, I said, Jesus made me the promise. I guarantee that finger will be healed up without a scar. He said, well, that ain't going to happen. I said, well, it's obvious you don't have no faith, but I do. It's going to be my faith he's going to heal my finger on. And he said, well, come in. If you're not going to let me do it, at least come in and let me uh, take the stitches out uh, in about two weeks. But he said, I really want to look at it next week, this, this weekend, which will be a week from the day you've done it. I said, okay. So I said, Lord, you sure do good work. And I reached up there. And I took a little pair of tweezers 
and I cut every one of them stitches and took them out and throw them away. I said, Lord, thank you. You don't need no help to heal my finger. See, now this all depends on where your faith is with God. All depends on where your faith is with the king. He honors as you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. In Matthew 8, 13. Now, if you don't believe that finger is going to heal without a skin graft, guess what? You're going to have to have a skin graft. And if you don't believe he can heal it without leaving a scar, you're going to have a scar. Matthew 8, 13. Do you think God really meant what he said when he says, as you have believed, so shall it be done unto you? Hey. So don't you think it's time the church start believing in our king? After all, he's only God. I mean, he's not some fly by night. He ain't a doctor like Ty. Ty is a human being. He's a man that believes in stitches. <laughs> Amen. We still love him. I give Ty a hard time because he's one of my best friends. But he knows my faith. He knows my faith. I guarantee he knows my faith. He knows where I walk with God. He knows I'm serious in what I'm saying to you. But anyway, I took the stitches out, and I said, Now, Lord, I want to thank you that that finger is going to heal without one single scar. So, Lord, I'm going to go back and see that doctor next week, and I'm going to show him your glory. And I walked in that doctor's office next week, and he said, Oh, he said, aren't you the guy that had the bad finger? I said, Yeah, that was me. He said, Let's see your hand. I flopped it out there, and he says, No, 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 you look like the guy, but you ain't the guy. I said, Yes, I am. He looked at my hand. He looked at my finger. He said, there's not, there's, the stitches are already gone. And there's not even any marks in your finger. I said, I told you. I know the healer and his name's Jesus. And I told, I said, don't he do good skin grafts? <laughs> he said, you can't be, you can't be serious. You can't be the guy that was in here with his finger tore all the pieces last week. I said, that's me. That's me. I said, doesn't Jesus do good work? Amen. Look at that finger. Don't Jesus do good work? No scars, no nothing. That finger, I've been using it perfect ever since. Now, when people say, you know, God is not real. You know, we heard, we've heard this nonsense lately. People say, you know, I wonder if God ever really existed. Maybe he's died. You know, is he really real? You know, I mean, did you know there's people in the world that's asking those kind of questions today? Is God real? Has he ever been? Is this a figment of our imagination? Let me tell you, if you don't know God's real, you need to spend a little time with me. You need to walk where I walk. You need to walk where several people in this place walk. And you know what? When you and I start walking holy and pure, like that song said a while ago. When you walk pure and holy before God, and you hide His Word in your heart, He will show you great and mighty things beyond your wildest dreams. Now then... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something right now, and I'm going to ask a young lady that I just met to come up here, and I want this young lady right here. I just met her and her husband. They heard me on the radio, and it lit his fire. And then he's, brought, he's got a wife. Come up here, honey. Come up here. This young lady, when I said, come on, step up on this platform with me. I'm going to get God. This girl's going to give God some glory. I'm going to tell you what he has done for her, or she's going to tell you. And she's going to tell you what he done. Come on up here, brother. I, I, I got to help her. See, because we're one. And she okay. feels lost without. Okay, praise God. You're not scared. No. They, you're not scared. I mean, you're a daughter of the king. Well, it only looked like a few people when I first came here, but now there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's your brothers and sisters. Amen. We're going to spend eternity in heaven with these people. 
Now, I want you to tell these folks what God did for you and how wonderful he did it for you. And when, tell them your name, you and your husband's name and everything. I'm Donna, and this is my husband, Dave. How do you do? I'm originally from Longview, Texas, so I'm not very far from here. Although God had other plans for me, he sent me David into my life, and then David took me all the way to Arizona. So for 45 years of my life, I was a Baptist. We won't hold that against you. I know <laughs> praise God. Because, praise God. I mean, I did it. I knew. I grew up in church, so I knew the word, but I didn't know the word. And you have to know the word. And so he sends me to Arizona. For six months, I cried. I said, God, this can't be your will for me. I'm miserable. He said, but my child, I've got to take you through something so you can understand who I am. So he started taking me through some things, and they were hard. And I'd say, I don't like this. And he'd say, well, we're going to get through it, though. You know, we're gonna, you're going to be a better person for it. So I continued on. And then my husband and I found a little church in Phoenix, Arizona. And it was a little crack house church. And I say crack house because it was in a really, really poor district. I mean, it was to the point where, you know, you, you, you should have had security. But they didn't because they believed so high on God. And I said, well, Lord, I don't know what you'd have for me at this church, but I'll go. So I went with just a little mustard seed of faith, just a little bit. That's all God requires at the time for some of us. For others, he says, jump into the whole pool and the water will be there. So I took that little mustard seed of faith and I said, okay, I don't know what you got for me in this church. And so a prophet came up and he said, I want all of y'all to bring your bread that I talked to y'all about the night before. And so some of them were bringing seven grain. And I'm sitting here going, well, why are these people bringing wholesome and rainbow and all these things that meant something about God? I couldn't understand it. I said, I thought he just said bread. So I go and buy just the regular loaf of bread. And we bring it up. And he says he blessed it and he anointed it. And he said, take a bite. So we did. All of us did. And uh, so I sat back down. And he, you know, he blessed it and everything. We sat back down. And he looked, and he looked at me and he said, my child, go to the bathroom right now. God tells me to send you to the bathroom to go look. And I thought, me? But I didn't have no dental problems. I just believed with y'all, you know. And he says, no, go check your teeth. So I went back to the bathroom and I looked and I thought, well, it looks a little shiny, but I wasn't quite sure exactly. So I come back in and I asked my husband, I said, am I seeing stuff right? I said, it's changed. And he says, well, yeah, it's shinier than what it was. And he says, it looks to me like it's turning a little gold. So... He looked at me again. He says, no, go back to the bathroom again. So I thought, okay, well, I already did it once, but I'll go again. So, and he, at that time when I left, he said, remember, I told another man in the Bible, go back seven times before you see the cure. So I thought, well, okay. So I went on to the bathroom, come back. Sure enough, they all started turning gold. So my teeth, they had mercury back in the, way back when, we'll just put it. They, they were dark at that time, and they started turning gold. And so... That was my first experience with who God really was because I heard of him, but I didn't know what all he could do. And then the rest of that part I didn't finish was that. That night I said, Lord, I know you're real. And I said, I'd just like to see a little bit of you, just a little bit. And so that night on my pillowcases, they had prayed and anointed our pillowcases. He revealed his feet to me. I couldn't even look at his feet. They were so shiny and such a, a light just off of him that you couldn't even my eyes couldn't behold his glory and so that moment on I said you know what I'm taking my faith to another level and ever since David and I have been married we just keep going higher and higher and higher he just keeps bringing us up higher and so it's nice to be a place like this where somebody speaks the word and you get on the word I looked in her mouth while ago with a flashlight 
And all of her teeth, both bottom and top, where she's had them filled, are pure, shiny, bright gold. Thank you. Thank you. Thank praise you. God. Thank praise you. God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Now, I want to tell you a testimony right quick. One more testimony uh, before we get started doing something else. That in Phoenix, Arizona, I went out there to speak a few years ago. It's been several years ago. And while I was teaching, I taught in a Baptist church. And a Baptist, in fact, I went out there the year, or actually about four months before, at the request of the man that watched me on television. And he paid all expenses, airfare, place to stay, had me stay in his home, everything. And I spoke in a hotel. And he, he rented a big suite, and there's probably 40, 50 people come that day, whatever. And when those people come, he told his pastor, said, I, I met a Baptist man over the telephone, over television, and said, this guy is walking in God's power and God's anointing. said, I want him to come out and speak in our church. And the pastor said, absolutely not. Now, no, absolutely not. Can't let him come to this Baptist church. He said, well, if you ain't going to let him come to church, then I'm going to bring him out here and I'm going to rent a hotel suite and we're going to do it in a hotel room. He said, you can come if you want to. So, when I got out there that day, <clears throat> I walked up in that hotel room and 40, 50, 40, well, 30, 40, 50 people came and we sat down and I started teaching them the Word of God. The pastor came. One of his deacons came. The pastor had been down at his back for a long time, had serious back pain. One of his deacons had a stroke. He was walking with a cane and could barely walk. And another gentleman came in on two three-legged canes and they had seen him walking down the street and asked him if he wanted to go to church. And he said, well, I might as well. And so they bring this old guy in. <laughs> and then all the rest of the people. When the end of the teaching, I taught three or four hours. And at the end of the teaching, I asked anybody to come up for a prayer and God would do whatever they needed if they'd repent of their sins. Well, that old man on the two-legged, three-legged canes, he come up and said, I need prayer for healing. So I rebuked the devils of hell and prayed over him. He's lost. He don't even know Jesus. I prayed over him, and he walked back to his chair just like he came in. That Baptist deacon come up there on his cane, and he said, Well, I had a stroke, and I'm in really bad shape. Would you pray over me? And I said, Yes. I prayed over him. And then the pastor said, You know, I've had back pain for years. He said, I ain't never heard nothing like this myself, but he said, will you pray for me? And I said, yes. And so we prayed for everybody, and everybody left. Next morning, I got up, and I was over at his house, and I said, are you going to church this morning? My plane don't leave till this afternoon. I said, uh, they said I couldn't teach in your church, but they didn't say I couldn't come to your church. So I said, could I go to church with you this morning, that Baptist church you go to? He said, sure. So we walked in over that morning. When we walked up, the first thing I saw was this Baptist deacon come outside when I walked. He said, praise God, I'm glad you're here this morning. I said, wow, what did the Lord do for you? He said, praise God, I'm healed. He said, I can walk. He said, I don't have no pain. He said, come on in here. I'm going to let you teach the adults in the sanctuary. I'm going to get all the Sunday school classes. I'm going to get them in here, and you're going to teach them this morning. And I said, well, okay, I'll do that. And about that time, the pastor walked in. And he said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to let... He said, I'm healed this morning, praise God. He said, I'm going to let this man teach the adults. He said, hold it. My back's healed too. I'm going to go get the kids. We're going to bring them all in the sanctuary. They brought them all in there. 
And I preached that morning, and there was a little boy there. And his mother and dad brought that little boy up, and they said, he ain't never spoken a word in his life. He's five years old. I knelt down beside him. I commanded him demons of hell to come. I said, you and your husband need to repent of your sins. And they had plenty. That's what's wrong with us in the church. They had plenty of sins. They repented of all their sins. I've spent 10 minutes at least, maybe 15, rebuking that devil and asking the Lord to put the spirit of speaking upon that little boy where he could talk. I said, son, talk to me in the name of Jesus. He never said a word. I got through. I said, well, I'm telling you what. I'm going to guarantee you that devil of hell is gone. And the king of the universe is restoring his vocal cords. And I said, that boy will talk. And he'll talk supernaturally. And I mean, you've got to do everything you do in faith. You don't do nothing wavering. I left there and Tuesday that Baptist preacher called me and he said, my goodness, Thurman. He said, we ain't never seen nothing like, like what we've seen when you was out there this weekend. He said, Monday morning that mother and dad come back by the church and that boy's talking 90 miles an hour and he ain't stopped since. <laughs> is God awesome or is he awesome? Can, can he put gold in your teeth and you not even know it? Yes, he can. But while I was out there, there was another girl there. She came up. She said, I've got to give you my testimony. I said, well, what about it? She said, you know. I went through a terrible divorce here a few years ago, and she said, it devastated me. She said, I went home, and I was just going through devastation. I was so depressed that my husband that I loved with all my heart just walked off and left me. And she said, I was really depressed, but said, I stayed in the Word. I continued to worship and praise God. She said, several days goes by, and one day I was there, and the Lord spoke to me. And her name was Vivian. I'll never forget her name. Beautiful lady, just like this one. God says, Vivian, my dear, go check your teeth. She said, Lord, there ain't nothing wrong with my teeth. That's all he said. You know, he don't talk much. You know, so a couple of days later, she said, he said, Vivian, my darling, go check your teeth. She said, Lord, there's nothing wrong with my teeth. So she said, I wouldn't do it. She said, I had, it was either four or six fillings she had had done in her life. But the next day, the Lord that morning says, Vivian, my dear, go check your teeth. She said, okay, Lord, I don't know what this is about my teeth. I don't have no problems, no pain, no nothing. So she goes in there, and she looks in the mirror, and she said, what is this? And she gets a light and shines in there, and every filling in her mouth was the most beautiful gold that you can imagine. And she said, Lord, you've turned those black fillings into gold. He said, yes, my dear, happy birthday. Isn't that God? Isn't the God we serve awesome? So when I heard this young lady's testimony about all, and I looked in her mouth just like I did Vivian, the other one. I said, I want to see that. So she opened her mouth, and I looked down and took a flashlight, and I said, I want to look down in there. I want to see what God's doing. And her teeth were everyone a beautiful goal. And just like a while ago, I said, can I? She was chewing chewing gum. I said, can I see your teeth? She said, sure. She bit that gum out. A lady come over, give me a flashlight, and I look down in there. Let me tell you, they're gold. They're gold. Now, what can God do? Anything you can believe Him for. How big is your Jesus? Well, let me tell you, mine made the universe. Mine made the universe. Praise the King of Kings. Now then, before we get started with the message today, I'll take one or two more quick testimonies. I know little Michelle's got one up here. She's about to bust. She's got to tell us something Jesus has done for her this week. Tell us what Jesus has done for you, young lady. Praise the Lord. 
Well, we had a basketball game yesterday, and four of our players were really badly injured. And the coach put me in for all four quarters, and then I got done with that. I went home, and then I got back outside, and I went for a two-mile run on top of all that. And we won. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else got a testimony you want? Ty? Ty's got one. Praise God. You must have been out doing something for Jesus this week. (laughs) And and that's another another testimony. But this this one I want to speak. We had had a lady over ministering to her yesterday. Praise God. The Holy Spirit sends them to you. And, you know, you just let them flow through you. And God does the rest. But what I wanted to tell you about was this gold. I was at a meeting one time. and, And there was this particular man. He had a real anointing. And when he would preach, the gold dust would start falling from him. And so this friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, that's sitting right here in a green shirt, his wife got up and she started singing Amazing Grace. Because I'd ask her if that's my favorite song. And she was up there singing it. And when she did, it just started falling on everybody. Everybody in the audience. And I got a Bible full of it. If you want to see it, you can see it. It's so real. It's so real. So we asked this gentleman to come spend the night at the ranch. And he came and spent the night for three nights at my brother's house. All over the house there was God. All over the house. And he would come down and he'd start speaking about God. All he wanted to do was speak about God. Amen. And when he started speaking about Jesus, he'd just start appearing on his face, just like sweat on you and I. And then all over, and then you'd look on yourself and he'd be on you. We can't, we can't even start fathom what daddy has prepared for us that's right that's right absolutely glory to god praise the king all right praise the king oh goodness gracious alive now then we were out of glc oh you got a testimony praise god okay lord i quit too quick glory to god praise the king amen tell us what jesus done for you brother here not for me it's um about a week ago a friend of ours He's at uh, Mount Olive Church. He go, he's been there for years. He was in the hospital. We found out he was in the hospital from his daughter. He's been in there for eight days. And so Rico and I went up and, and saw him, Pastor Rico. And um, we talked to him, and then we anointed him with oil and put, put, laid hands on him. And today he showed up at church. Amen. Praise and God. He, and he said that he's fully healed. Amen. The doctor how, didn't know what was wrong with him. How long, go, how, how, long how far back was it when you all anointed him? It was last week. About a, week, About a week, and today he's in church totally healed. Yeah, they were going to send him over to another hospital to be operated on, and they couldn't find anything to operate on. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise God. Oh, wow. Okay, I don't want to miss any. Anybody else got a testimony you want to give before? I, you got one? Come up here. Tell us. This got a little lady back there wants to tell us something. Praise the King. Praise the Lord. I love testimonies from children. Glory to God. Well, um... I, I stepped my foot on a bed and I got a scratch, but my mom prayed that I'll get better and it got better. Amen. Praise the Lord. Always pray. Prayer is wonderful things to do. Praise God. All right. Let's go into this session right here. I've been teaching on can you lose your salvation. Now, I realize this is a very critical issue And I realize I started out with the most controversial, difficult scripture in the entire Word of God to prove it. Hebrews chapter 6, starting with verse 4. I have heard people say that is the most controversial message in the entire Word of God. It's not controversial to me. 
It's simple. It means exactly what it says, just like all the rest of the Bible. God didn't make the Bible hard. It, we, we make it hard. That's all. We don't want to believe what he says in this book. But let me tell you, you and I are going to be judged against what's written in this book. And he means exactly what he says. Now, I want to reiterate a couple of things to start out this morning or this afternoon on eternal salvation. Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand before you asking you to fill us with the Holy Spirit and power and reveal to us the truth of your word. Lord, we don't want to, we don't want to go beyond what you said. We don't want to go under what you said, but we want to believe what you said. So, Father, we thank you for the word. I ask you to open every one of our hearts and minds and let us hear your mighty word. Because just like this young lady said a while ago, when she asked God to reveal to her who he was, she could only look on his feet. That's as far as she could get. The brilliance, the glory of God. And I think about, Lord, I ask, you to, I ask you to make that picture of you real to us so that everything we do every day, if we can do what we do in the presence of the holy God of the universe, then may we go ahead and do it. But if we don't feel comfortable with him standing in our presence, watching over us, if we don't feel comfortable doing what we're doing, then don't do it. Lord, I praise you and thank you for the word. Thank you, Father, that you are the king and you're a merciful, mighty God. Now, Lord, reveal to us the truth of the word today. In Jesus' name, amen. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, there is a scripture, and it says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all those that obey him. I want you to listen to that whole thing. Don't just hear the one word. He is the author of eternal salvation. But he's the author of eternal salvation to everyone that obeys him. Now, let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's no two ways about it. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about so many scriptures. If you don't get the gist of this entire thing that I'm talking about, I'm going to tell you that you cannot be saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost. That's not the way the system works. And I'm going to guarantee you that when you come to Christ, if you come to Him really accepting Him as your Lord and Savior, making Jesus Lord of your life, you get saved. You become a new creature in Christ if this was real. Now, if you obey him and do what he says, I can guarantee you he is the author of eternal salvation for you. You don't ever have to worry about nothing. All you got to do is walk in obedience to the word. He will watch over you, protect you, answer your prayers, and do great and mighty things and keep you safe and healthy. And you cannot lose your salvation as long as you obey him. Man. Now, that's a fact. And I'm going to tell you something else. <clears throat> In that scripture of Hebrews 6, verses 4 and on, he's talking about a person that gets to a point where almost nobody ever gets. We're talking about salvation here, clearly, in chapter 5. We just skip a few verses down, and he makes this statement in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. He says, for it is impossible. Think about that. Hebrews 6, 4. 
For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come. Now, how many people do you know walk there? How many people do you know that walks right there in that scripture? How many do you know? Probably none. If you do, you don't know very many. But if you ever get to the point where you walk in that, I'm talking about you're walking where Jesus said. You're walking, you have accepted the free gift of God. The Holy Spirit has come upon you with power and authority. And you've walked, you have laid hands on the sick and they've been healed. You've cast out demons and they've fled. You have walked up to people and spoken the mighty power of God's Word. And instantaneous miracles have happened. The dead has been raised. Everything has happened. There's not hardly anybody that I know today that walks in that realm. There's a few, but not very many. But I'm going to tell you, the church ought to be walking there. The whole church ought to be walking there. But we do not. We don't believe miracles happen. But let me tell you, miracles happen, don't they, Faith? They happen, don't they? Yes. It's hard to convince us that miracles don't happen when you have a few of them living in your house, right? Oh, glory to God. Wow. What an awesome God we serve. But how the devil's deceived us. Now then, if you, if you can walk where he's talking about here, and you can get to that point, and then you can turn your back on God. You can be lost. And once you get lost, he says here, and if they shall fall away. In verse 6, if you fall away... To renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. It says, if they fall away. What What if they fall away? It is impossible. That's what he started verse 4 with. It is impossible for you to come back to Christ if you fall away at this point. So let me tell you. Get it out of your head that if you sin, you made a little mistake. You fell from grace, and you're lost. Nope, that's not true. You did not get lost. You're still saved. You just made a little stupid mistake. You can repent and come back to God. He will forgive you and restore you and put you back up on the hill where you need to be. But there's something else now then that we as children of God, we're supposed to study the Word of God now to renew our minds. Romans clearly tells us, We are to renew and study the Word of God. Paul told us in Timothy, study to show ourselves approved unto God. We're to renew our mind daily with the Word of God. Now then, we're supposed to do that. And you you think he meant that, Ernest? Yes, Yes, sir. He meant exactly what he said. So the king, I've come to realize the king means everything he says in this book. It ain't for just me. It's for you, too. So he's talking to the church, us, the believers. And he expects us to be obedient. And just like the song said up a while ago, I mean, I'm standing there singing that song, praising him. Lord, make me a pure and holy sanctuary for you to live in. I'm going to tell you what. Let me ask you a question. How would you like to go home today, young lady? And there was uh, your toilet had run over and the, the city sewer had backed up in your house and about two inches of sludge walk running around all through your house. Would you like to walk around in there? No, I wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Well, how about if it just run over just in the bathroom, not in your whole house? How would you like for it to be just in your bathroom? No, I 
Oh, you don't even want that. What well, this, this, this girl's got a problem. She don't want no trash in her house. She wants her house clean. How many of you girls want your house clean? Hey, all of you. So, do you think God, the Holy Spirit, enjoys walking around in our house? When we put the trash or the world in us, you're sitting there watching a soap opera on television, they're taking God's name in vain, living in sin, and you're feeding this trash into your house. And the Holy Spirit's supposed to be living in there. You think He likes living in there with that trash? That's why He told you to purify yourself and make yourself holy. You know, if the church ever realizes what he says and does what he says, do you know those that purify themselves and make themselves holy before the king? And then they study his word like he says, and they believe what he says, that when they speak in his name, that's when he does what he did for this young lady. That's what he did when he did what he did for Rico. That's when he does what he does for Ty. All the people. You know, people that cleanse and purify themselves. Somebody says, good grief. You mean that guy made a preacher? I remember when he used to run up down the streets of Goldsway, Texas, in a hot rod with the loudest pipes on. That guy could never have been a preacher. Well, let me tell you, God can change anybody. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Amen. Because he forgives us and cleans us up, then we should become children of eternal salvation. Because all we got to do, the scripture is clear. If you obey him, he is the author of eternal salvation. But he goes on down here to say, if you do fall away, if you have walked, and I'm not just going to, I'm not going to bring a baby in here. When you bring a baby, and many of you have had your own children, and when you bring a baby into the world, and the first time the baby uh, throws up, you don't throw him out the window, do you? No, you clean him up, and you put fresh clothes on him, and five minutes later, if he throws up again, you don't throw him out the window then either, do you? No, you don't. But now then, when he gets to be 15, and he throws up, you expect him to help clean himself up, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, see, this is the whole thing. You know, as they get older, they're supposed to get to where they can take care of themselves. Mama is not supposed to take care of you, you know, when you get to be 15 if you're a normal boy. Sure, you might get sick or something, especially if you don't know the word, and you've done something and you upchuck or something, well, then you're supposed to take care of yourself at 15. You don't really need mama. Although, if she's a good mama, she's probably going to be right in there helping you. You know how mamas are, right? <clears throat> well, God is even more than that. But the Lord expects you and me to take care of ourselves and keep ourselves clean and pure and holy. Now then, as we study this word, we come to some points in the scripture. We talked about some of them last week. We're going to talk about some of them again this week. And I want you to see what he says in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 10. Hebrews 10. I want to go over there to Hebrews 10. And I want you to see what these scriptures says. I want you to think about that. that This will not cause you to lose your salvation the first time you do this. Now, this losing your salvation is something that 
I think is so difficult to do, and you're going to have to make that wrong decision, and God's going to make the final decision. You know, God's going to be the one that's going to make the final decision whether you go to heaven or hell. If you've made him Lord and Savior, it is possible for you to lose your salvation. There's too many scriptures that confirm that in the Word of God. So, if there's scriptures in the Word of God that confirms that if you do certain things long enough, you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you die. Why in the world would you ever even put God to the test and do one of those stupid things? Why would you do it one time? If you know God give us the law years ago and says, I want you to love me with all your heart. I want you to put nothing before me. I don't want you to take my name in vain. Well, if he said that under the law, if he didn't like it under the law, you think he's changed his mind? So a Christian should do, we should strive to obey the law. Somebody says, I'm not under the law. Well, yeah, but if God didn't like these things then, he hadn't changed any. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you can do those things. He says, so now go out and love your neighbor as yourself. Don't covet. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't commit adultery. You know, all these things he says under the law. What you become a Christian, if you knew he didn't knock those things under the law, it should be your devout desires and your goal in life to keep everything under the law. To keep it. To walk holy before God. That should be your desire. Don't get off on this crazy thing. Well, I'm saved by grace, so I can go out and do whatever I want to do. Let me tell you, some of those people think like that. When they die one day, he's going to bust hell wide open. And if you don't bust hell wide open, when you get there, he's going to not have not one single reward for you in heaven. He ain't going to welcome you in and say, well done, faithful servant. How would you like to come into the kingdom of God and he look at you and say, well... Because my son poured out his blood for you, I'm going to test every work you've done, and every one of them is going to be burned as fire, but you're going to be saved as by fire. How would you like for the king of the universe to say that to you one day when you come to heaven? And you're going to have to live with that in eternity, thinking every time you see him, oh God, don't let him see me today. I didn't do a thing for him while I was on earth in 50, 60, 70, 80 years. I didn't do not one single thing except make Jesus my Savior. I didn't even make him my Lord. And here I'm going to be in heaven with this magnificent being, and I'm here because of what he done, and I didn't do not one single thing for him all of my life. You want that hanging over your head all of your life? Brother, I don't want that hanging over my head, do you? No, not hardly. I want to purify myself and make myself holy and clean. And when I get there one day when my work on earth is done, I want him to be standing at the portals of heaven. I want him to come up there and I want him to say, "Put, Oh, welcome, son. Come in. You've done a good job for me. While you're, is that what you want to hear, Ty? That's what I want to hear, too. I guarantee you that's what I want to hear. But it ain't going to come without diligence. Now then... There could be a point in the time you're living in these sins that you say, I'm saved by grace, that I'm, you know, I'm going to go to heaven anyway. You may do that, but I can assure you, if you go to heaven living in some kind of sin, there's going to be no rewards. You may still get to be in heaven. But what if you've gone over the edge when he says, that's it. I'm not, you're not going to get to heaven. 
I'm sending you to hell. I never knew you in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to put God to the test like that, do you? Absolutely not. But there's a lot of people in church doing that every day. Now then, let me show you what he says here in Hebrews chapter 10. First of all, he tells us to draw near with a true heart. Hebrews 10, 22. What does it mean to draw near with a true heart? Pure, clean, holy heart. No sin in your life. Okay, so you've been out with the boys today and you're using a little, you're out in the shop working and some guys come in and you tell a few dirty jokes or you got a few pictures of pornography you want to show them. Let me tell you, that's not a true, pure heart. That's lust of the flesh. You want to know why God don't do nothing for us in the church? Because we don't have that pure, true heart, which he tells us to draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith. Unless you're walking in love, you cannot draw near to God with a full heart full of assurance of faith because faith don't work without love. So when you walk into God kind of love, then you can draw near to him with a pure, true heart in full assurance of faith, knowing that he'll do whatever you ask him for. Boy, what a promise from the king. Yeah, ask me anything and I'll do it. And he will. And you get to see him do these great and wonderful things. And he goes on down when he's talking about our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Then he talks down in verse 25. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You know what that means in verse 25? Go to church. Every Christian, every Christian on the face of the earth ought to be in some church every Sunday unless a disaster has kept them from it. We shouldn't have a an enrollment on a roll of 300, 200, 500, or 1,000. I mean, I can think when I was a member of Lakeland Baptist Church, when we had 100, we'd have 35 there. When we got 200, we'd have maybe 60 or 70 there. When we had 3,500 on the roll, we might have 1,000 there, 800. Where's the rest of them critters? You know, where are they? Well, they don't believe God, that's for sure. That's for sure, you know, because they, they've been taught wrong. God tells you to go to church. Now, if God tells you to go to church, it, I can tell you to go to church. And you say, well, it'll make no difference. Thurman says go to church. If I go to church, if I want to, if I don't want to, that's okay. But when Thurman says go to church, he's reading it out of God's Word. Now then, somebody said, well, I'd like to have God tell me that. Well, let me tell you, he just told you. I spoke it out of his Word. He tells you to go to church, and he tells you to be in church every time the door is open. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some are. And the more so as you see the Lord approaching. Now then, what if you don't go to church? Let me tell you what it'll do. It'll bring sickness and disease to your body. That's what it'll do. I guarantee you, when you take a Christian, I've got to where I've learned this. I walk up to somebody and say, you're a Christian? They hesitate a minute and say, yes. Good. You're my brother or sister in Christ. Where do you go to church? Uh, well, I don't have a church. I've been looking for one, but I'm not. How long have you been down here? Oh, six years. And you ain't found a church yet? Well, not yet, but we're still looking. I, I, I tell you, you ain't looking very hard. You ain't looking very hard. Guarantee. I can show you one this next Sunday. Just come with me. I can take you to one. And I've got all kinds of names of churches. Wherever you live, I can show you one right, almost right down the street where you live. Ain't too far away. I can take you to a church somewhere. Find you one this next week. Guarantee it. Well, yeah, but no, 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 no. Jesus, are you a Christian? Yes. Jesus said right there in Hebrews 10, 25. Go to church. 
You think he meant that? Yes, he meant that. Is there a consequence for not going to church? Did he say go to church? Oh, if he said go to church, then why do we not go to church? Well, let me tell you what the next verse says in Hebrews 10, 26. After he said go to church, then look what he says. For Hebrews 10, 26. If anyone sins deliberately. Now, you've just been told to go to church, right? Did you make a decision? I'm not going except when I want to. So now when you go when you want to, he says, If anyone sins deliberately by rejecting the Savior after knowing the truth of forgiveness, this sin is not covered by Christ's death. Now, that's the living Bible I'm reading out of, but it says the same thing. The King James says, for if we sin willfully, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So you've been told from the Word of God, from the mouth of a pastor, that Jesus said in His Word, you are to go to church every time the door is open. You've been warned. So, yeah, you decide not to go. I mean, I ain't got nothing to keep me from going to church Sunday. But, you know, I just don't want to go today. You have just sinned willfully. Isn't it amazing how he's put this all in order just like this? Tells you to go to church and then you say, well, well, we go to church when we want to. You know, you want to know why there's so much sickness and disease in the church? I can tell you. He says, for if we sin willfully. In other words, don't go to church after we heard him say, go to church. We decide we're not going. If we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you lost your salvation? No. No. You're just a disobedient child. What happens to a disobedient child when daddy or mother tells them to do something and they totally disobey? You've got some children, young lady. What happens to them children? Oh, have you ever had to spank them? Oh, you have. Oh, well, your, your children were just like mine. they done the same thing. They put daddy to the test. Now, if there's anybody in here that's got disobedient children, if you don't spank those children when they disobey, you hate your kid. You hate your children. God said so in his word. You're going to raise a little hellion. He, not, he or she's not going to do what you tell them to do. And you need to be in control of the children. But you need to do it in love. You need to do it in love. You need to tell them and warn them. Now, God's that kind of God. Now then, just think what he says here. For if we sin willfully. Now, there's any, what if he said, don't lie, and you lie? What if he said, don't commit adultery, and you say, well... You know, I'm a guy, and I'm out of town, you know, more than I'm at home, so my wife, she won't never know, and it won't make any difference. I just sleep with another woman just once in a while. Now, I know that's wrong, but God, he understands. Me and God got a deal. You know, I've heard men tell me those kind of stupid things. Me and God got a deal. I said, yeah, the deal's in the Word. And he don't, he don't flex that thing for nobody. If we sin willfully... After we have the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Okay, so you go out and you 
sin somehow, and then you know it's, a, it's wrong, and you sin, and you go ahead and do it anyway. Well, I know God told me to do this, but I just don't want to do that. I know God told me not to lie, but it won't hurt anything. A little lie here, a little lie there. It won't make any difference. God understands. You knew it was wrong. And you do it anyway. So a week later, you say, now, God, I know that that was wrong, so I'm going to repent. But you knew it was wrong before you did it. Will God receive your repentance? What did he say? There was no sacrifice for your sin left. What what does he say after? So what's going to happen to you then? So after you willfully sin and you don't know, you repent a week later, but you, in other words, it's kind of like, let's put it like this. Let's say that your son came in and you said, son, I want you to not throw the ball, that baseball, that hard ball you got, you can play with that outside. Now then, these other little soft balls, you can play with them in the house. But the hard ball, you don't play with it because you could knock a hole in the sheetrock or you could break a window with that ball. So you only play that ball outside. Now, if Daddy catches you use playing that hard ball in the house, I'm going to give you three licks, hard licks. So Daddy walks off. Next day, son's playing ball, picks up the hard ball, throws it against the wall, picks it up, throws, and about the third time he hits the wall with it in the same place, it breaks a hole in the sheetrock. He grabs the ball, I've got to hide this ball. And he throws it. When he does, he goes through the window in the front. <laughs> Daddy hears the crash. He comes walking in, sees the hole in the sheetrock, and sees a glass laying on the floor. You know what the little boy does? Daddy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean this. I won't ever do it again. He said, I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry. Goes over and picks him up and says, whap, whap, whap. No sacrifice for that sin left but only a fiery judgment of God from upon. He was begging and pleading for forgiveness. Did Dad forgive him? Yeah, after he busted his rear end. You want to get your rear end busted from God? I don't. He don't play games. Look what he says here in the Word. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, verse 27, but a certain fearful I think about that little boy looking at Daddy. I can see the fear in his little face. Oh, Daddy, I didn't mean to do it. I won't never do it again. All y'all can associate with this. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. Did you know when you are the one that sinned against God, you're the adversary? You know? You're the adversary. Then he says, he that despised Moses' law, he goes into great detail, If you, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. It was death. Wow. And this was just death. And then look what he says. Of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite under the spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saying the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Amen. Now then, 
You want to know why we got the problem we got in the church? I can tell you right there. I have eternal salvation. I can go out and do anything I want to do. I was raised up in a church that taught me that. I mean, once saved, always saved. It don't matter what you do. And there's a lot of scriptures that confirm that. But they don't go into this part very good at all. I mean, yeah, if you don't get to be that full-grown, full-mature, full-blown Christian, you might go through a lot of those things in life and repent and still get to go to heaven. But you ain't going to get no rewards when you get there. But what if you step over the line somewhere? What if you just move in with a girl or a boy, whatever? And you say, I'm saved. And I have heard this so many times. Especially some young girl or young guy goes off to college. They've been at home. They was a pretty good kid. Maybe they slapped around a little bit. Didn't let daddy or mother know about it. They go off to college. No problem. Some guy comes along and he says, you know, just kind of going with her. And first thing you know, he said, well, let's just move into one room together, you know, and cheaper for both of us to live in one, you know, than two. You know, always kind of try to figure out a way to put some logic to this, you know, for sin. That's all we always do it. You know, try to justify our sin. So they move in together. And mother don't like it. She finds out about it, that her daughter's living with a boy. She says, honey, you know you're not supposed to. You wasn't raised like this. And mama... I'm a Christian. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Remember, they said, once saved, always saved. God understands. Yeah, he understands okay. Did you know, honey, that God says you're not supposed to commit adultery? Well, I know he said that, but he understands. What did he say if you sin willfully after you've known you're not supposed to? What's he going to do to you? And then you wonder why your life falls apart. You wonder why that nothing goes right for you. Wonder why you can't pass in school. Wonder why you wake up with sickness and disease. Or you wonder why you're in a car wreck and you break your arm and your leg and you're out of business for three or four weeks. You wonder why when you pray, God don't hear your prayers. Because you're living in sin. You want to know why? Just like a God that we serve that says, if you, under the law, if you will be obedient and keep all my commandments and all my statutes, I, God, will take all sickness and disease away from you and you not a single one of you have not one single sickness or disease. He made that statement. Not just once. He made it over and over and over. I've taught that in healing schools. I mean, those over in Exodus, Leviticus, he said that in Deuteronomy. Over and over and over he made those statements, if you will obey me. Well, if we in the church have got a better covenant than they had and we have all this sickness and disease in the church let me tell you what's wrong with us we are sinning we are not purifying ourselves and keeping ourselves holy and so we're sinning willfully after we have the knowledge of the truth and yet we may repent next week God, I'm sorry. Lord, I, I know I, went and I messed around. I lied last week or I stole or I slept with a guy two times this week. I know I'm not supposed to do that. But Lord, forgive me. I know I'm forgiven. But your life starts falling apart. Did he forgive you? Oh, yeah, he forgives you. But are you going to get a spanking? Oh, yeah. You're going to get a spanking. And you come to him and say, I want my prayers answered, Lord. He said, no, forget it. Forget it. I ain't hearing your prayer. Not until, this, not until the total price for your sin has been taken care of. I ain't hearing your prayer. I told you not to do that. Now, you're going to pay the price. 
And there's no way to talk God out of it. Isn't that something? So you have sickness and disease for a year or two or five, and everybody in the world prays over you, and nothing, 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 nobody does. Seems to work. You go out and start looking for somebody. You start looking for ministers in the healing ministry. You go to Benny Hinn. You go to Oral Roberts. You go everywhere looking for somebody. I mean, i got this sickness and disease and all these healing ministers. Why can't I get healed? Well, let me, tell you, let me sit down with you and talk to you about your life. Where have you been living? A lady called me up and said, i got a friend that's sick and afflicted and said, I want to know how do I get her healed. I said, the first thing you do is confront her sin. She said, Dunman, I could never go over and sit down with her and ask her if she's sinning. That might hurt her. I said, well, let me tell you, if you're not willing to sit down and find out what the sin is, you ain't going to get her healed. I said, the reason she's sick. And you know how many people don't like it when I say you're sick because you've sinned? Thurman, my grandmother was the greatest woman there ever was. She was the most holy woman I ever seen. And she died with cancer. I'm telling you, grandmother had a sin. People say, I don't want to hear that. I'm telling you. I had a woman, I told that to a man, and I'd said that, made that statement in Sunday school years ago when I first learned this. And I had a man and his wife in my church, and she jumped down my case. She said, my grandmother was the holiest woman, and she got a grudge against me. And she said, Thurman, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me tell you, the other day I got a letter from her. And she said, Thurman, I want to repent. I'm so sorry. She said, we changed churches from the Baptist church, and we got into a church that teaches what you do. And I now realize you're teaching the truth. Amen. And I want to repent before God and before you and ask you to forgive me. Praise Isn't that amazing? Sin is why we're sick. And God says that if you sin willfully, and of course if you was raised up in a Baptist church, they teach you that these things are wrong, but they don't teach you there's a consequence if you go do them. You're saved, you're okay. And you may be, it depends on where you are in your walk. And I don't know. Only God knows where this place is at. Let's say that you are a young man and you go off to college and you've been a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic or anything else. It makes no difference. You're a Christian. And you have read the Bible and your preacher, your pastor has told you these things are wrong. But when you go off to college, you say, well, but I'm going to stop going to church. Now, when you decide to stop going to church, he told you, Hebrews 10, 25, said you're to go to church. But you decide not to. And that's the only thing you decide to do is wrong, is I decide I don't need to go to church. I'm just going to study my books, and I'm going to spend time reading and getting my education. I know we went to church. Mom and Dad took us every Sunday, every Wednesday night. We were in church, Sunday school. I know, according to what my dad and mom believe, it's church time, Sunday morning. We get up and go to church. Sunday night we go back. Wednesday night we go. But I'm going to school now. I'm a big boy. I don't need to go to church no more. He has just willfully sinned. You think God's going to hold him accountable for that, Ernest? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. You willfully sin, decide, I'm not going to church. Did you notice that he made that statement, if you willfully sin, right after he told you to not forsake the gathering or yourself together in church? That's the very next thing he said. He says, go to church. And then he turned around and said, now, if you don't go to church, if you willfully sin, 
There's no more sacrifice for this sin left, but a fiery judgment of God to come upon you. You want to know why there's so much trouble in the church? Is this scary? I mean, if God means what he says, how much of the church is in trouble? All of us. Is that right, Don? All of us. He told us to go to church. It's a good thing he's merciful because in his mercy, when we sin willfully, after we have the knowledge of the truth, it depends. It's kind of like your child. You tell them to not throw the ball in the house, and they do, and it's going to be three licks, so you give them three licks. And you say, son, I told you not to do that. Don't you ever do that again. And about three months later, you come in, and he's knocked three holes in the sheetrock and broke out two windows. I guess you're going to walk up to him and say, oh, that's okay, son. But he screams at that, I'm sorry, I promise, I promise this time I won't never do it again. Oh, what was that, David? Let me give you a reminder. <laughs> Let me just give you a little reminder of what I said last time. Only instead of three licks, what may it be this time? Oh, oh, maybe eight or ten. And when he can't stand up, when you wore his little backside out to where he can't stand up, said, now then maybe you'll remember this next time. Do you think God's any different? No. Now then, that's why that some people have little things happen to them and they live over them. And then when they do it again, it gets a little worse. And then, like this young man. Young man was living in adultery with a young woman. And he broke his back. He'd opened the door to the devil because of his sin. He called a pastor that I know. I heard this guy tell me his story. He said, I went over to pray for this boy. He said, I didn't know him and that girl's living together out of wedlock. But he said, I thought they were married. So he said, I went over and laid hands on him and prayed for him. And God healed him. I mean, just almost instantly healed the boy's back. But he said, 20 years later, that same young man called me to their home. And he was on his deathbed. And he said, I thought, wow. So now he's 40. So he said, I'm on the way over there when I'm driving down the road. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice. It says, don't pray for John's healing this time. I'm not going to heal him. He said, who said that? The Lord said, I said it. He said, Lord, you told me to go pray for the sick. He said, I know I did. But he said, 20 years ago when you went and prayed for his back, I healed him. But he said he was living with that girl in an adulterous affair at that time. Are you talking about a God that we serve? It's a merciful God. Hey, this boy knew that was wrong. But God still in his infinite mercy healed that boy. But then he said to this pastor, he said, ever since I healed him, in the last 20 years, he has not lived right more than two or three weeks at any given time in the last 20 years. So I am fed up with it, and this time I'm not going to heal him. I'm going to take him out. Ooh. And the boy died. Now then, my question is, did he go to heaven or did he go to hell? I don't know. Only God knows that. You can't make those assumptions. How many times have I been in a church when I knew that guy laying up in that casket had been a hellion all of his life? Amen. He had never gone to church. Maybe his wife and kids did, but he didn't. And the preacher said to me, said, well, John's in a better place today. Let me tell John, I mean, that pastor don't know where John's at. 
You can't say John's in a better place. You can't say he's in a worse place. There ain't nobody but God knows where that guy went. But let me tell you, the assumptions we would draw, if he didn't go to church and he didn't serve God and he didn't do nothing for Jesus while he's here, the assumption is he ain't in a better place. He's in a worse place. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not what you call one of these little wishy-washy preachers. You know, I tell you just exactly like the Word said. You may not agree with it, but if Jesus said it, hey, I'm going to tell you like it said. Because I don't want you to have to suffer the consequences, and I don't want your blood on my hands. God told me to tell you what He said in His Word. And I'm telling you that if you will obey Him and love Him and serve Him and do what He says and read this book and walk in a love affair with God, I will guarantee you have eternal salvation and you won't have to worry about a thing. When you do close your eyes in death on this earth, there will be no pain in your, in your death. He will take you out without pain or suffering. And when you open your eyes, you'll get to see Jesus. And you may even see Him coming for you before you close your eyes in death on this earth. I have known of people that have done that. They've seen the king coming for them, but they were people that loved him, people that served him, that walked in obedience to his word, people that went to church, and they served God and done all kinds of, and they never dreamed about willfully sinning, never dreamed. If they made a mistake, it was totally uh, oblivious to their knowledge that I sinned against God. I would never sin against him, never. That's where we all ought to be living. Now, do, do we make mistakes that we don't even know is sin? Yes, we do. Do we pay the consequences for them? Yes, we do. You know? I mean, just like I've told y'all, I told it in the healing school yesterday, I'm going to tell it again today. You need to hear this. Your pastor, this man standing right here, that loves this girl right up here on the front row, my wife, with all his heart. I sinned against God and her the other day. She walked, I get up about 8 o'clock in the morning. I fixed me a bowl of cereal. She had worked nearly all night long, so she slept all, all day, nearly. She got up about 3 o'clock, or came over to ministers about 3. I don't know what time she got up, probably 12 or 1, probably done the washing and all that stuff. And then she came over to ministers and her about 3. When she got over, she walked, she said, Honey, have you eaten today? And I said, No. Now, see, I didn't premeditate that lie. I didn't premeditate that lie. I had eaten that morning at 8. I was up working. And she comes and said, have you eaten today? See, that's where us guys need to pay attention to what our wives say. Every woman in here will be in agreement. My husband does not hear what I say. I mean, every one of y'all have said things to your husband. When this girl up here, she laughs. I guarantee you've said things to him. He didn't hear it either, right? I guarantee we've all done that. But see, we need to listen closer. We need to listen closer. You agree with me? I know I need to listen closer. Because when she said, have you eaten? See, I'm thinking ahead of her. When she starts to have you eaten, I'm thinking lunch. And she don't say that. She said, have you eaten? Not lunch. Have you eaten today? And I says, no. Although I'm thinking lunch, I didn't listen. And I said, no. And that afternoon, so we went and had something to eat. And so that afternoon, my head began to stop up. The next morning, it was worse. I said, now, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute here. I'm re- as soon as that thing starts on me, I start rebuking that devil. You devil of hell out, but he don't go away. He gets worse. And I said, wait, by the next morning, I said, no, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. No curse comes upon me undeserved. Proverbs 26, 2, made that say, No curse comes upon me undeserved. So I got to sin somewhere, Lord. What did I do? 
And that's dangerous when you ask God. Because the very first thing he said, you lied to your wife. So I said, Lord, I didn't lie to my wife. He said, oh, yes, you did. He said, yesterday, your wife come over and said, have you eaten today? I thought, that's what she said. And he said, you said no. I said, oh, God, forgive me. He said, go repent to your wife. So I went told her, I said, honey, I lied to you. She said, what? You lied to me? I said, I didn't do it on purpose, but I lied to you. You asked me yesterday, have I eaten today? She said, well, yeah. And I said, no. And she said, well, so? I said, I lied. I had, I had a bowl of cereal that morning about 8 o'clock. She said, well, what's the big deal? I said, well, it must not be a big deal to you, but it was to God. He said, I hate a liar. You think he means that, young lady? He hates a liar. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. And I repented to Cheryl. And then I began to rebuke the devil. And he said, okay, since you lied, I'm going to let him go away. But I ain't going to let him go away instantly because I expect more out of you than that. So it took me two more days, Ernest, to drive that devil out. You think God holds us accountable? And the more he has given you, the more accountable he holds you. And you know what? Somebody said, well, then I ain't going to study the Word. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, he told you in his Word to study the Word, too. And if you think that a statement, you're in big trouble. Because he ain't listening. He said, I told you to study my Word. And if you don't do it because you think it's not going to cause a problem with you down the line, then I'm going to have more problem with that than I will be right down the line. So you get in my Word and study it. And I didn't tell you to read it. He said, I told you to study my word to show you approved unto me. Not to your pastor down there at that church. Not to the people down the block. But to me. That's who we're serving. When we get a picture of this God, that we can look at his feet like brass and the shining splendor of glory. When we think about who we're serving, we'll want to read this book and do what he says. It's amazing. We've got to get in there. Now then. Can you lose your salvation? Yes, you can. You can lose it. Now, he's talking about a man in that Hebrews there, six, that was a full-grown, mature Christian. But in these next few weeks, we're going to talk about so many areas that is so critical that people that think they're going to heaven, that they go to hell. And they lost their salvation. Hey, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one of those that puts God to the test. Do you? No. When he says there's a little narrow path through life, about like this aisle right here, I want to walk right in the middle of that path. I mean, you know, so yeah, there's a three-foot wide path for me to walk on, which is not too difficult. But off the side of that path, right down there, only about a thousand feet down, is raging, burning fires with serpents and scorpions and worms that don't die. And i got to walk across this path. Let me tell you what, if that thing's a thousand foot deep on each side, I don't care if it's three foot wide, I'm going to be walking right in the middle. Of the... Ain't you, Ernest? I ain't going to look off over here and somebody call. I'm saying, oh, yeah, okay. That's the... oh, oh, whoa, I nearly fell off. Oh, oh, nearly fell in there. I ain't taking a chance. Are you, brother? No, sir, I'm not. Because just think, you don't know at what point along that path you might fall off of that path. 
And how would you like to come to that time in your life and you had lived in some kind of a sin so long that God says, well, if you enjoy living in that sin so much here on earth, let me just go ahead and kill your flesh and let me put you into hell where that kind of sin is going on all the time. And you can really enjoy the worms crawling in and out of your flesh day and night. Because you ain't going to enjoy being in heaven because I told you to purify yourself. And my children do purify themselves. They walk in love. And they love to worship and praise me. You didn't want to worship and praise me. You didn't want to go to church. You didn't want to do anything that I wanted you to do. So you think you can live in the world all of your entire life and then die and come to heaven where I am nothing but pure and holy? No, you ain't going to enjoy heaven. So you're not going. Hey, I would hate to be one of those, wouldn't you? But like I said before, I can guarantee you eternal salvation. How can I guarantee you eternal salvation? What do you got to do? What does Scripture said you had to be do for Him to be the author of your eternal salvation? What do you got to do? What? Obey. obey. Does everybody know what the word obey means? Anybody need a dictionary definition of obey? Hey, you think God's serious? I think He's very serious. That's what, I mean, every time He heals somebody for me, I'm telling you, we know. I didn't do that, did I, Ernest? I did, God did it. I mean, I think about all the people that I've had the privilege to lay my hands on or pray a prayer of faith for them and see God heal them. In fact, Ernest's lovely wife, Esther, this beautiful woman sitting here in this red dress today, 15 years she'd had a tumor in her stomach. And she came out here and got her sins repented. And I prayed to prayer of faith over her, and this lovely woman was healed in one week. Amen. One week. Had that thing 15 years. Let me tell you, if you ain't walking, this man standing up here on this platform, if he's not walking in obedience to God's Word, God don't answer them kind of prayers when you pray. You know that? You know why I want to walk holy before God? Because I love seeing Miss Esther come back to this church and she ain't got no tumors in her body no more. Don't you love that, Keith? I love seeing God do those kind of things. I mean, this one's written right here. I love seeing her not have a back pain. Don't we love that type? And, and this one's sitting up here on the front row. You know, I, she's my lovely bride, and I'm so grateful for all the things. Her knee, you know, her, her feet, her cold feet. I mean, just think all the things. I had the privilege to pray over her, and God healed her. I mean, some of them he did it even before. You know, when, when we're sitting in the car, you know, we're not sitting out in the car courting like some people are. We're sitting out in the car. Of course, you can't court in the car today because they've got great big islands between the front seats. So she sits on her side and I sit on mine. So we just talk about the Word. And in the course of talking about the Word, the first time I got to play with her legs. The first date we ever had after God told us to get married, she'd already accepted. And I, I had asked her. And God had told both of us. And so we're sitting in a car a week later. And hours we sat there and talk about each other and about the Word. And she makes a statement. I cr- First of all, she reached crank up the car. I said, what are you doing, honey? Said, In fact, I don't think I even called her honey. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm cranking the car. My feet are cold. I said, but it's warm outside. She said, but I'm cold. I said, how long have you had this problem? She said, well, all my life. I said, what do you mean? She said, my feet and legs have been cold all my life. 
So I'm, I'm cold. I've got to have some heat. I said, you want to be like that or you want to be healed? So she said, what do you mean? I said, well, Jesus made us a promise in Matthew 18, 19. He said, if two of us on earth agree about anything, did he not tithe? If two of us on earth agree about anything, he'll do it. Now, who's in the car with us? Who's watching us? The king. So I said, well, if you don't want to be like that, I said, would you kick your shoes off and throw your feet over that console? And she did. And I reached up and grabbed a hold of her knee. And I go down toward her feet. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, because I know who's in the car with me. I start down her legs. I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the enemy. And I ask you to open every artery and vein in Cheryl's legs and her feet and make them perfectly normal and warm like they were designed by you in the first place. See, I might have had a hold of her beautiful little leg, but I was thinking about God. Amen. And I said, Father, I want to thank you for doing it for me. And I come down the other one the same way. I said, now, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, Cheryl, do you agree with this prayer? She said, well, of course. I said, thank him. She said, Lord, thank you for healing me. Bam. I was holding one of her feet, which was ice cold, and it just got warm just like that. And she has never had cold feet to this day again. Now, see, when you got your heart in the right place, you can handle a woman's legs and feet, and God understands where your heart is. Wow, has she had warm feet and legs ever since. Yeah. Now, see, God... God, in His wonderful power, He knows what's going on in that heart, don't He, Ty? He knows. And if you got your heart in the wrong place, and you're thinking the wrong things, He'll tell you like He did a lady that was going to our church one time. She'd come to me and said, Thurman, I would so love to hear God's voice like you do. I said, you will. Just walk holy before Him. He'll talk to you. Well, here's what we all want to hear him say. Well done, faithful servant. So this young lady is going with a boy, and she gets real serious with this boy. And she's a good Christian girl now. I mean, you know, and this is a good Christian man. They ain't doing nothing wrong. They're just in each other's arms loving each other. They are kissing. And all of a sudden, she thinks. She told me this herself personally. She said, I was sitting there in his arms, and I'm thinking, wow, he's so wonderful. I wonder what it would be like to go to bed with him. It's real easy to go there. And all of a sudden, she hears God's voice. And he says, Susie, stop it. You're sinning. That's not exactly what she wanted to hear God say. Well, let me tell you what Susie did. She scooted over, got on the other side and said, we need to go do something else. Go get a cup of tea or something. But we need to stop doing what we're doing. Now, how do you like to hear God talk to you like that, huh? No, that's not exactly what you want to hear. You want to hear him say, well done, faithful servant, right? Well, let me tell you. He told her what she was doing wrong, but somebody it changed her life forever. But let me tell you, in the Word, he told you the same thing. If you think or lust... For another person, you're sinning. 
and you're guilty of sin. Now, what if you don't repent? What if you don't repent? You know that's wrong. What if you don't repent? What if you don't ever repent? You may go through life and all kinds of things continually coming along in your life, causing problems, and you never repented. And you don't understand why. This has happened to me. That's happening to me. It was because of that sin. Somebody said, but I didn't commit adultery. But you thought about it. And God, did God say that sin, brother? Yeah, he did, didn't he? So if you think about that, what should be the first thing you do? Repent, Repent right? They say, oh, God, I'm sorry. I won't do that. Forget it. You know how to never lust after a woman? Don't look at her nowhere except in her face. When you look at her face, don't ever look at her body. Don't ever pay attention to none of her other parts. Only look at a woman in her face. Don't start paying attention to people's bodies. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Look at them in the face. Don't look at them from here down. Look at them here up. Then you don't have no problems. Because God has put on the church such a stringent requirement. Some people said it was impossible to walk under the law. Let me tell you what. If you think it's impossible to walk under the law, you hadn't read the law of grace. He says walk in love. When you walk in love, he says you do no damage to no one. It's tougher to walk in love than it was to walk under the law. I'm going to tell you, it is harder to walk under grace than it was under the law. It really is. Under grace, you're supposed to walk in love to everybody all the time. You're never supposed to make a statement. You're never supposed to grumble at all under grace. How many of you all grumbled this week? Don't hold your hand up. (laughs) Because if you grumble this week, you sinned. You need to repent. And you call demons to your life. By, re- by grumbling. We've had experiences. People that got instantly healed when they repented of their grumbling. Right here in this church, we've had people instantly healed. Didn't even get to pray for them. Just repented and got healed just like that. God doesn't like grumbling and complaining. Because he said in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, when you grumble and complain, do you lose your salvation? No. You just call a demon to you. You just broke the rule. You get the board on your backside. Maybe you only get one lick the first time. Maybe the second time you get two. You know, the king did make a statement in there. They will be beaten with few stripes or many stripes. Didn't he say that? Ooh, we're going to talk about them scriptures in the future. All them's in the future. Wow. So, what is this whole story about this losing your salvation? Yes, you can lose it, but only God really knows when you're going to lose it. But he guarantees you, you walk holy in obedience to his word. He guarantees you eternal salvation. You cannot be lost when you walk in obedience to his word. You cannot go to hell if you walk in obedience to his word. You have that guarantee from God. And one day when you get home, he will say, well done, faithful servant. Woo! That's what we want to hear, isn't it, Ernest? We don't want to get off over here and walk on the way. We want to walk right down that path. And if we know something sin, hey, we do not want to sin. Holiness before God. The church should be walking so holy before God with every sin repented of, studying the Word every day, learning what it says and doing what it says, that whenever we come upon somebody, we ought to be able to walk up on somebody out there in the street, no making it what the problem is. When we pray for them, we ought to see some kind of an answer or transformation. We're the church. 
our God is the king of the universe. Right, Rico? Just like this man come up and give the testimony a while ago. This guy had been in the hospital all them eight days or whatever. That's going to give him surgery. They go over and anoint him with oil, kick that devil of hell out of him. And a few days later, he's in church. Walks into church, praising God. Nothing wrong with him. That's the God we serve. And when these men done what God says and they prayed that prayer of faith, the king showed up. Now then, if there's sin in everybody's life, he says, who do you think you are? You repent of your sin. I ain't answering your prayer. But when you get to prayers, repent and walk in faith, he shows up just like he did for y'all. That's lots of fun, isn't it, brother? Yeah, to go and pray the prayer of faith over somebody and somebody's got all his problems and in a few days, they're healed. Wow. What a God we serve, huh? What does he want us to do? Walk holy in his presence. Purify ourselves daily. Go to, do you reckon he really wants you to go to church? What did he say would happen if you do not go to church? If you willfully sin after you know that I told you to go to church, what's going to happen to you? No sacrifice for sin. You know, he couldn't really mean that, could he? You think he does? Well, then I think maybe it would be a good idea for Christians to be in church somewhere, don't you? Somewhere, worshiping and praising him, not rejecting him. In fact, I had a tremendous experience with a man and a wife that did just that. They stopped going to church, and they stopped going for 10 years, and it cost the man his life. 55 or whatever years old, and when I prayed over him, and he did not get healed, I asked God the question. Lord, I prayed over that man. I rebuked them devils. I anointed him with oil. I did everything, and he did not get healed. I want to know why, because did I do something wrong, or was it his fault, or what did we do wrong? And the Lord spoke to me as clear as a bell. He said, no, son, you didn't do anything wrong. The reason he died is in John 15, 2. And I went over to John 15, 2 and read it, and he said, you are the branches, and I am the vine. And every branch in me that stopped producing fruit, I cut it off. Now, what had he done? He had stopped going to church. He'd been to church half a dozen times in ten years. When he says, go to church, do you think, he, when he said on a regular basis, do you think he means a half a dozen times in ten years? I don't think so. So if he'd only been a half a dozen times, I wonder how much he tithed in that ten years. I'm sure none. So no tithing puts him under a curse, double whammy curse. And disobeying God by not going to church is a willful sin after he knew he's been going to church and been a Sunday school leader and a youth leader for years. So he knew he's supposed to be in church. Ten years of not doing what he said, he willfully sinned and the fiery judgment of God came upon him. And what was the fiery judgment? Death. A painful death. Tormenting death over about a six-month period of brain tumors that nobody could get him healed. And God gave me that answer and told me that's why he died. Now then, should that make Christians want to go to church and serve God? Well, it only makes you want to go to church serve if you want to live. If you don't want to go through one of them fiery trials of God and die early, then you better be somewhere in church serving and worshiping God and doing what the king says. And if you are, guess what? You're not accountable to me. You're accountable to him. He's your God. But every one of us should be so holy and so obedient to God's word that when we should have the word hidden in our heart so that when we go somewhere and when we speak in the name of our God, he should show up and do great and mighty miracles. Just like he did for y'all, Rico. 
When people like that, people like Ty, many of, many of the men and women in here that pray, many of y'all pray and go out and do these kind of things, and God answers your prayer in a mighty way. But you know, I would like to see it to where everybody in church, it didn't matter who you walked up to. We had strangers come in here, and they say, I've got a problem. I need somebody to pray for me. Somebody said, well, gee, I'll pray for you. Let me lay my hands on you. Jesus will heal you. I guarantee it. You just reach up and touch them. Say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Bam. And it happens. And they say, whoa, what is it about you, girl? Well, I just know Jesus. He's my Lord. And I obey him. And I do what he says. He told me to lay hands on the sick and you'll get well. You said you're sick. So praise God. Now then, let me tell you about this Jesus. You need to do the same things I've done. I walk holy before him. I go to church. I read his word. And I believe what the king says. Now then, he's no respecter of persons. If you've done it for me, he'll do it for you. Isn't that amazing? When we walk in a demonstration of the Spirit's power, you get people's attention. You know that? You get people's attention when you walk in a demonstration of the spirits of God. If you don't walk in no power, who cares what you've got to say? If you ain't ever seen God do no miracles, who cares what you've got to say? You know, Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege to have your word. This magnificent book that we carry in our hands. Help us, Lord, to read it this week and study it and believe it. As we read your word, Lord, help the Holy Spirit convict us that you meant everything you put in this book to the letter. And you hold us accountable to it all as your church. Lord, help us to, to, reveal, help to reveal the word to us, Lord, by the Holy Spirit so that we do walk in love and obey your word. And Lord, as we speak in your name, may you do great and mighty things. And Lord, we're so grateful that we know you and love you and serve you. What a mighty God you are. And Lord, help us walk so holy and so obedient to everything. We don't have to worry about our salvation this week. We are any, forever. We know we are that are saved and are walking obedient to your word. We know if we die any time that devil takes us out in something, if a car wreck or anything else happens to take us out, we know instantly we're going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you and praise you for that privilege. And Lord, for those of us that know a people that's not walking there, help us, Lord, to witness to them, minister to them, be kind to them, loving to them, but show them in your word where you say what you want us to do. And Lord, help us to pray gently and prayerfully, and, but yet powerfully for those people to bring them back into the kingdom where they can live a blessed life and not live under the power of the devil as children of God. Lord, thank you for your word and use us this week to bring glory and honor to your name. Now, Lord, we thank you. And Lord, as people come forth to be prayed for, ask you to move upon their hearts that they repent of all sins. And then, Lord, as we pray for them, ask you to move by the power of your spirit and do great and mighty things. Well, this is your church, Lord. I just get to be one of your spokesmen. And I'm so grateful to see you do the great and mighty things you do for your people. Lord, touch every life today, whatever the need is as they come forth today. Touch them, whether they need a, a, a financial uh, increase, whether they need healing, whether they need something, uh, who, whatever the need. Meet their needs, because you're the God of gods and Lord of lords, and you know all the answers to everyone. And, Lord, as they come forth, as I touch them in your name, I won't know their problems, but you will. So, Lord, you meet their needs. 
And we thank you for doing it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We got all kinds of free media back there. Anything you want that's back there, take what you want. If you want to give a donation to the